All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers post-game show on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for staying up late to hang out with us after one of the more bizarre Laker wins that I can remember. Um, it was kind of weird in the sense that, like, there was so much good. Like, they competed at a level that we haven't seen them compete at in a few games. And there was so much good happening on the court. But meanwhile, we had this kind of bizarre night from both Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the heroes of the game, in my opinion, were the role players. And while, you know, Anthony Davis made several huge defensive plays and uh, a few big baskets as well, I felt like he kind of was working through some, some stuff mentally that game, it seemed like. It was definitely a funky one. What was your, you know, initial takeaway? Um, you know, just like I say always from 30,000 feet up, what's your initial takeaway? Yeah, and again, we do these right after the game, so it's kind of hard to fly that high right away. Um, so just <laughs> trying to look at it right away. Obviously, the turnovers from Russ are probably the big story in this. Um, I'm not sure if – I think you two did that AD seem pretty frustrated at that. I'm not sure if that was his direct frustration, but I guess that was definitely part of it. Vogel, again, went with the two big, citing the reasons that we've talked about a lot, the idea that we don't have any wings. I thought it worked in the – in the first shift in the starting lineup, like I thought they played pretty well. The Hornets aren't really a team that have a lot of like shot making off the dribble per se. And I thought in the second half, they kind of started going to that. You saw LaMelo be a little bit more comfortable and that starting five just got pulled. So that was, I guess, my first takeaway here is Vogel with a very short leash in that second half uh, with that with the two big lineup. And I thought we found a few things. And again, those rust turnovers on the fourth are really bizarre. You just, I know his decision-making isn't always great, but you usually just don't see that from a guy that's been in the league as long as him, I guess. Just the, like, you know, nonchalant walking the ball up. He's getting picked up almost at half court by Terry Rozier. And, you know, he loses the ball out of bounds. One play, one play, they knock it out. Uh, that lob to AD late, just that one didn't make sense. Some of the decision-making, but that overall, I mean, it was a rust game, and it's why I say lean into the rust ball, right? Because I thought you saw some of the positives to, from that. So that's, like, my main takeaway here. A lot of strange stuff, a lot of the five free throws on one possession, just weird stuff that happens like that that, that had the Hornets back in the game. So we are going to talk about rust. I did think it was super interesting the way that Terry Rozier – completely threw him off of his game with ball yeah. pressure, <laughs> which is, which is bizarre because that's supposed to be like the one thing that every point guard has to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we're going to, I th- I feel like as you and I always do, we should start with sure. the positive um, because I have lots of thoughts on Russ and I'm going <laughs> to say, I'm going I'm to save him. But the, uh, yeah, I, I'm very much going to need you Raj tonight to, to talk me down from some of, some of my sure. opinions on Russ. So, so we'll save that for in a, in a little bit. But two, two big guys that I want to shout out tonight, um, Austin Reeves, particularly in the first half, although he also made some plays in the second half. You know, the one thing that's starting to pop up with Austin a little bit is his three-point shooting is starting to be uh, a little bit of a lot, not a liability, mm-hmm. but he's not knocking him down at as high of a clip as you'd hope for from that position. Very, very Alex Caruso-esque in a lot of ways. Um, but just in general – one of the better uh, – I tweeted out it was the best half he's played it as a, as a pro. I think you could probably look at this game now and say it was probably his best game as a pro. Just incredible off-ball defense, incredible on-ball defense. 
this uh, level of energy that was contagious that went through the whole team. He had two isolation scores tonight that I counted one on Kelly Oubre where he drove into his Mm -hmm. chest and bounced him off and then shot like a little 10 foot fadeaway knocked down. And then he had that huge one. I think it was either in the fourth quarter or overtime. I can't remember, but where he attacked out of the weak side corner and uh, you know, the ball kind of stuck with him. And then all of a sudden there was four seconds left on the shot clock and he just drove to the baseline and did, did, you know, one of my favorite go-to moves just hit the dude with your shoulder in his chest and just spin off. Uh, If you, if you do it and you uh, initiate the contact and you, and you, hit him a little bit, it, like regardless of height difference, you can get that shot off. And he, and he made it, it was a huge one just in general. Like, I think we've come to the point with Reeves where he's been so good that you absolutely have to keep him in the rotation. Even as the team gets healthy, he's that he's been that mm-hmm. good. And I think he's been that good enough for long enough that the guys in the locker room would understand why he's getting minutes, uh, which may not have been the case earlier on. And then the other big guys, Melton. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we've talked a lot about how his extreme high level spot up shooting is such a huge deal. Um, obviously it basically won them the game tonight, Mm -hmm. but even looking forward for the team and its ceiling and and what this team is going to look at, look like in high leverage moments, having a guy like that, that you cannot leave is going to be such a huge asset. And then as we saw tonight, I thought he had his best, uh, defense and effort game of the year. Tons of multiple effort plays defensively, getting his hands on 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 balls that he didn't used to, uh, being active in passing lanes, contesting shots mm-hmm. that he used to just let go. Just just an awesome, awesome, awesome game from Carmelo Anthony. And so those are my two stars of the night, the two huge glaring positives mm-hmm. that I wanted to point out. Would you agree with that? Was there anybody else that you wanted to shout out? No, I would agree with that. Well, let's start with Reeves because I thought just this is just an incredible sentence to say like. Well, I tweeted it too, but when the overtime started, I said we needed him out there to guard LaMelo Ball. You know, LaMelo Ball, the one averaging 20 on uh, 41% from three and all that. And Vogel put him in for defense. Uh, Frank Vogel put Austin Reeves and Avery Bradley in for defense late in the game. The undrafted rookie, and you're right, his defense was just incredible. We talk about it all the time that Frank, you know, likes to play this drop kind of coverage. And you need guards who can stick. And Austin Reeves was the best at it tonight. He might have been the best at it all year. He drew a few offensive fouls, I believe, too, on that, uh, where he was kind of chasing over on Orzier. But the work on LaMelo, that last play, he guarded him one-on-one. Uh, if you watch closely, they, he guarded him one-on-one. They had a screen. He switched and then shut off Gordon Hayward at the rim, which allowed AD to come out and contest, which I think was uh, – I forgot who was in the corner who took the three. Um, but, but yeah, AD was able to contest that, and then uh, they got offensive rebound and got a tough one from Martin in the other corner. But, yeah, his defense was just incredible. Even if his shot's not going, he's just in the right place way too many times for me to where you don't play him. And I think in that second unit, I'm not, I'd actually like think to start him right now. If you start AD at the five, I think Reeves has just been that good defensively. But just his defense was incredible. Even if he didn't make you know his spot up threes, teams don't leave him though. You know what I mean? Like even if he's not making his spot up threes, he's a guy they respect as a shooter already. Like they don't play off of him, they don't sag off him. Uh, Melo got a bunch of good looks open threes tonight i think reeves on the floor for a lot of them he just helps the spacing he's in the right place he's there for charges you know and his hustle energy that all just is needed on this team where you can tell the the lack of energy just goes back and forth and then mellow i don't know what other i don't know if there's any like superlatives left to talk about him some of these threes tonight weren't even open 
he was just feeling it at Staples Center. I think he was shooting like 68% on threes and that went. That, that one he hit in overtime, oh, man. The, the wheels were coming off. It <laughs> felt like the team was about ready to yeah. quit. And that three hit in overtime completely changed the complexion of overtime. Yeah, you could see him be like, let's go, let's keep it going. Uh, if he, uh, The camera kind of panned on him while he, was, while he was walking back on that. But yeah, I mean, he saved us. I don't know where this team would be without Melo. It's another 20-plus game from him. I think it's like his fourth for the season or something. Uh, but it's just, he's been great. Like, it's there's nothing you could say and his defense like if it's passable that's more than enough and like you talked about tonight it was even better than that he gets hands on a lot of strips he's never going to be perfect but he's kind of been in the right place a few times i thought the ad mellow lineups were good enough defensively to win but his shooting has just been incredible so i'd agree with you those were kind of the two stars from tonight you know, Mello is an interesting guy for russ to watch as an example of how to age gracefully as a star that was, you know, much more nuclear, you know, in his younger days. Now, Mello, to his, you know, to, to Russ's defense, Mello, it was it was a process. Mm-hmm. He didn't accept it right away. But if you look at what Mello is as a basketball player right now, like he's he's the same level of skill that he's always had. It just he was he had a certain amount of athleticism in his prime mm-hmm. that allowed him to have a physical advantage to go with his skill that allowed him to be a guy who was, you know, one of the, the best scorers in the league. Mm-hmm. Right. So <clears throat> the core skill set behind that is still there, but Carmelo Anthony has understood that he's not the same player and he has transformed his game in a lot of ways. He understands like, Hey, like I will not be able to play for a winner unless I put in more effort on the defensive end than I did when I was in my prime. Like, and he gets that, like he, he knows that a game like tonight, um, Frank might go another direction if he's getting just barbecued all over the floor. So he, over the course of this season, has each successive game gotten a little bit better on the defensive end, a little bit better yeah. with his effort and focus. He's cha- completely changed his shot profile to uh, um, to taking higher quality shots. When he takes the tougher shots, they now take place when he already has his rhythm. You know, even, uh, you know, I've complained a lot about him posting up bigger wings, um, you know, instead of posting up smaller guards. And there was a play in the first half where he got Kelly Oubre on him. And I remember sitting there thinking like, I don't really like right. this matchup. And, but Mello, Mello was smart about it. He's like, I, he pumped mm-hmm. it. Like Mello's like, I'm not going to be able to just elevate over the top of this guy anymore. So I'm going to try to outsmart him. And Kelly Oubre is young and overaggressive. And he jumped out of his shoes and Mello got two free throws out of it. Point being, like Mello is finding a way to age gracefully. And it's a, a big thing that Russ has to pay attention to. And this is something that I talked a lot about a couple nights ago when we did the um, our last pot after the Portland game. You know, Russ has to kind of accept the realities of who he is as a basketball player now. And, and try to identify what he can still do to impact the game and try to focus on those areas and pull back in other areas. That's the only way this is going to work. And to his defense, as bad as he was tonight, which we're going to talk more about, like he's kind of in a rock between a rock and a hard place here. Like the, the team needs him to, to try to create something. I mean, like, here's the reality. Like, like Vogel probably goes with Rondo for the first six, seven, eight minutes of the fourth quarter. If, uh, if, if he doesn't get ejected, you mm-hmm. know, 
he was forced to go back to Russ uh, early there. And, and the, you know, the, the team just needs him to do this. But when LeBron comes back, when THT comes back, when the team is whole, he's got to find a way to tone some of this back. Because what you saw tonight is something that I've talked about a lot over the course of the beginning of this season, the concept of hemorrhaging possessions. So, for instance, who was the better basketball team tonight, even without LeBron? The Lakers were. The Lakers were clearly the better basketball team. They were roughly 15, 20 points better if you look at the way that they played on both ends of the floor. Um, But Russ hemorrhaged so many possessions as either a direct result of turnovers or the other big one that you saw a lot, especially uh, in the first three quarters, was I have absolutely no advantage here, but I'm just going to throw it up at the rim anyway. You know, uh, around the basket, like just like getting into the lane, having no separation and just jacking stuff up like shots so crazy that if you saw a dude shoot them at L.A. Fitness, you'd be like, what is this guy even doing in here? Like, that's how bad it was. And what you saw was so many of those clustered in one game that it damn near cost them. That's how bad that Mm -hmm. was. And what scares me is the idea of him doing that, hemorrhaging possessions, even in a smaller scale. Let's say he hemorrhages half as many, but it's game five against Phoenix on the road, and the series is tied at two, and he does two or three stupid things in the fourth quarter. That can literally cost you a playoff series. It can't. And as I've pointed out so many times over the years, like he's done it in the past. There are Oklahoma City games, pivotal Oklahoma City playoff games, where his poor decision making arguably cost them series. And so it's just it's it's one of those things where you know I'm having a really hard time <laughs> trying to keep a positive outlook with this because even if he does temper back a lot of this stuff, just his basketball IQ isn't what it needs to be for what this team needs out of that position. Right. And, and I, I'm a little bit scared. Well, of it. So <laughs> if you can try to talk me down, if you could try to talk me down, that'd be great. Oh, talking down. Is this, well, before we get super deep into Russ, cause I feel like this is where this is going. Um, I just want to give shout out to a couple more players. First of all, Rondo, you spoke a little bit about him. That's the like playoff Rondo you won't see every night, but I think like this team right now that's hurt needs him to be a little bit more right. Just again, we can get into Russ, but I just thought once he came in, I think he did come in for Russ. Just changed the whole energy of that game. Uh, he was active on defense, calling out plays. He forces AD to play in the air, which I, I really like about him. Uh, he was throwing him lobs and stuff. I want to give him a quick shout out. And then also, I thought Wayne Ellington, you know, he still didn't shoot well, but I thought you saw kind of what he could be. And then Malik Monk as well. I thought they made impacts. Uh, Still not great defensively, but I thought they had pretty good games for for what they they did tonight. To bring it on Russ, like watching this game, it it kind of, again, is the Russ experience. You're going to get good stuff. You're going to get bad. The finishing isn't there. Uh, I know we talked about this with Roosh as well last time like this is kind of what he is and again I thought there's a little bit still more finesse that was in his game like the left-handed finishes that are just way off or those kind of stuff I'm hoping kind of gets cleaned up but I thought you did see some things like uh, he came in for Rondo and Rondo got ejected and the lead actually increased they went up to 11 and then I think it went to 14 um, and then all those bad plays kind of happened in that crunch time you know how the NBA games go when a team tries to I guess, play not to lose rather than to win, right? You know what I mean? And I felt a lot of that energy mm-hmm. uh, with Russ. It was a lot of this walking the ball up uh, really slowly. 
uh, just zero pace, taking like seven, eight seconds to get it off. And again, Terry Rozier, give credit to them. And then I thought the Hornets also went to a lot of zone as well. Um, and I think that really messed the Lakers up as well. And I guess my only like, you know, positive kind of spin is those are LeBron's time though, right? That is the time where like the ball is yeah. in LeBron's hands. Like you're not going to see. And I think it's been clear this season, right? You thought there's been like some talk that maybe it'd be kind of a back and forth late in games. No, it's been pretty much LeBron has the ball, Russ is off, you know, maybe screening, but maybe being in a dunker spot or, you know, maybe screening for LeBron or doing these off off ball screens. But LeBron's the one who's going to have the ball in his hands and making those decisions. And I think it's clear that, you know, you don't rot Russ in those positions to, to put it nicely, I guess. That's why I'm not too worried about it. This is the time we talked about last time to just rack up wins. I know it was ugly, but they did get the win as ugly as it did look. They did hold them off in overtime so look this is what you're gonna get right now russ is gonna have to be this 35 percent usage player like he just is especially if you're gonna continue to start two bigs which maybe this is the game that changes it i wouldn't bet on it you know vogel used the word tempting tonight to start ad at the five uh <laughs> we'll see if that happens again the wing situation isn't gonna change i don't believe that Taylor horn tucker is gonna play the next game, they're going to want him to get a few practices in, I'm sure. I don't think none is close enough. So if the wing position doesn't change, I think we're going to still start this, you know, phone booth starting lineup for Russ. And this is what you're going to see sometimes. Uh, I thought he did a better job of kind of not taking those threes, even with Charlotte flying way under. Decision-making is what it is. The turnovers are what they are. But overall, it was a better game from him. Uh, then maybe those – if you take – I know you can't take away those fourth-quarter turnovers, but if you take those away – it wasn't a terrible, you know, rust game. You know what I mean? Like, like if you take away, like, the point of the game where LeBron would have the ball, I know this is a really big spin on it, and you can't take those away, and that's part of the experience. I'm just trying to pull you down from the ledge here. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yes, just watching it tonight. Watching the full game, I thought it was an okay game from him. We did lean, in, lean into the rust ball a lot after that first few minutes of that starting lineup. I wrote in my notes that, like, a uh, – I think it was, yeah, it was a Russ, Ellington, Monk, Mello, and Dwight combo. And I thought that looked pretty good. Mello started, Mello was on fire during that lineup. I thought the spacing was good. It was a one center lineup. Russ was coming off, going downhill. Dwight was setting really awesome screens. Uh, even if Russ got the basket and missed, Dwight was able to pin his man, pin his, pin Russ's man and get offensive rebounds. That's something they can build off of this game. But, you know, the turnovers are what they are. So that, that's kind of how I saw the Russ game tonight. So I'm going to do this one last time, and then I'm, I'm going to make you hold me to this. This is the very last time I'm going to call into question why the hell they even did this to begin with, okay? <laughs> this is the last time, if I ever try to do this again, you have the right to tell me to shut up on, live, on, the, on the live show. So, yes, Russ with LeBron on the floor, a lot of this gets mitigated, mm-hmm. right? We've seen in, in the few times that they've had crunch time with this group. Uh, Russ has been relegated off the ball and LeBron has made all the decisions and it actually has looked great. Mm. Okay. Uh, not great because of Russ, but great <laughs> because LeBron is still the best closer in basketball, in my opinion. So uh, setting that aside, the reason why you brought Russ in, like everyone has talked about is winning the LeBron off minutes, um, you know, helping you on the nights when, LeBron has to sit, you know, so on and so on and so on. You, we've all heard these talking points a hundred times over. But what I have consistently pushed back is that he is not capable of that anymore. 
He is not capable of being the lead man in a group um, that has the amount of talent that he's been playing with in this, in this season with LeBron off the floor. He's simply not capable. Why? He literally cannot make a perimeter jump shot. Uh, God forbid he makes one. He'll take two or three awful ones immediately after. When he gets to the rim, um, he doesn't have the lift to finish in traffic anymore. And what you saw tonight was a great example of that. A ton of like situations where he would get into the paint, but once he got there, there were bodies around him and he just had no idea what to do and had no ability to like these misses at the rim. I'm going to clip some of them together uh, probably tomorrow. If I have some time, these misses were not even close. These were not like, Oh, I got all the way to the rim. And uh, you know, I'd like nine out of 10 times I'm making that. This just happens to be the one I missed. No, he's throwing up bullshit at the rim. (laughs) And so between, so with all of that, and then, and then we saw, you know, the Russ experience as a passer is what you said. This is the Russ experience. Well, we saw that tonight. Yeah. It's the, oh my gosh, that was a fantastic read to hit AD cutting on the backside there after, after he got into the paint against the zone. That was a really nice play. Or, oh, you know, that, that play where he's trying to get it into AD and then Dwight's man comes over and helps and he hits Dwight and it's a dunk. Like, those all look great. Mm-hmm. But every last one of those is sandwiched with stupid ass passes that have absolutely no ability to lead to an offensive advantage and either go directly to the other team or go out of bounds or by the grace of the basketball gods happen to bounce back into a Lakers hand. It happens at least twice. It seems like for me every time that he makes a good read in those plays. And so the, so here's the thing, it's going to be okay because LeBron's coming back. And the truth of the matter is, is he will mostly only be attacking inferior defenders in, in situations when defensive attention is directed elsewhere. However, if, if that to me is the, his, his ability to have success in those positions was never enough of a reason to get him, in my opinion. The only reason it would have made sense is if he was capable of being a lead, you know, star level player in these moments when LeBron is out or the ability to in a pivotal playoff game, go to him for a six minute stretch. Like, do you think Russ in game five against Phoenix in the Western conference finals is going to run good offense for six minutes against the Suns? Like, do you really think that's going to happen? And so what, what, what's, what bothers me about this? And again, this is the last time I'm saying this for the rest of the season. I genuinely don't understand what the thought process was because considering what the formula for winning for this team is and what Russ brings to the table in the calendar year, 2021 in November, I, I, I just don't, under, I don't understand what the vision was because these people must've been watching way too many YouTube highlights and not enough of what Russ has actually been doing. Cause this is what Russ has been for several years now. And, and so I, it's just confounding to me. And, and I find him to be one of the most frustrating players to watch in my time as a basketball fan because I've never seen a guard have this little regard for the possession of the basketball and this little care for the value of, of, of limiting turnovers and, and getting players into positions where they can actually attempt a shot. It's, it's just, it's been one hell of an experience, Raj. I don't, I don't know what else to say, but I swear <laughs> I will never bring up the Russ trade ever again. I will only evaluate him in the scope of being a current Laker. 
but I just I just had to I had to say that one last time. Well, first of all, this is game eleven, so you're definitely going to bring up the rush trade again. I mean, that's just what's that's definitely what's going to happen. Look, man, like it not just you, not just me. Like we were all high on this team, right? And most of the people, you know, national media were also pretty high on this team, whether they thought they were the championship favor not favored or not. Uh, doesn't really matter here. They were one of the people, you know, in contention for the title. And look, Russell Westbrook, he was never meant to be the sole usage player. And I said over the summer that, like, it's been clear when Russ is the full usage guy, that's just not an equation that he equates to winning, right? You're just not going to win at a high enough level. Even at his MVP form um, in OKC, it it has a ceiling on it, right? Like, there's a, it raises your floor in a bit, especially when he was, like, you know, at his peak athletic powers and in okc like it raises your floor but your ceiling definitely has a you definitely have a ceiling to that and i think that's what we're seeing here and the idea look you talked about game five against phoenix could russ by himself no but to me like a russ anthony davis with you know enough shooting defense around it yeah for six minutes that should be able to cover if lebron's sitting still even with the decision making as bad as it is and i talk about it all the time the season to me has now become acquiescing to Russ and that's not ideal he's not even the he's not the first or second best player on this team but that's just what it has come to his you know his skills are so specific they they can't shapeshift they can't form they are what they are so when you play him next to two bigs when you play him next to non-shooters it's gonna look super ugly and that compounds the turnover decisions right he's a guy that's always been high turnover but now that his athleticism has dropped a bit it's gonna it increases he can't get to the basket like he did tonight you know there was a lot of times where he'd get the switch against mason plumley or miles plumley I, I don't know which plumley it is i should know that i think that was okay, mason, mason but i'm okay, not sure yeah one of the plumleys sorry miles or mason uh <laughs> you know he'd get him on a switch and he'd like oh no he'd tell everyone clear out and he just can't you know get by him the way he thought he could gordon hayward as well he's like you know i got gordon hayward on me back up let me attack like that's just not what he can he do anymore but what he still can't do and again i think like with players you have to kind of look at what they do take away the contract take away what we traded for him the trade is done russ like we talk about all the time russ is here to stay he's not coming off the bench he's not getting traded like this is the guy we have so we have to acquiesce to his skills what he does well and what it is 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 he's still a guy that pushes the pace he can still get to the basket when the floor is spaced enough and if you put shooters around, he can get them. He can get them shots, and that's kind of what you have to do here. And tonight, like, look, the Lakers don't have the bodies probably for it for a forty-eight minute game. They have it in spurts when AD's at the five and with Melo and Reeves, and you know, like, it can kind of work. And you just have to survive until LeBron gets back, until we get our wings back. It's gonna look ugly. Like Russ's decision making, you turn that usage up, turnovers are gonna go high. I thought one good thing he did tonight was get to the line. He took ten free throws, like. I think that was a good thing, but five for 15, only two three-point attempts. Uh, he was 0 for 2, but 12 rebounds, 14 assists. Again, we always talk about, you can qualm about the numbers. They are what they are. He was a minus 21 uh, on the game, which uh, that felt right, I guess, watching. It's one of the rare examples where single game plus minus yeah. was, was very yeah. accurate. It, it definitely <laughs> felt right. His defense, again, is is probably one of my bigger issues that we don't I talk about enough. We always go on the offense, but to me, his defense is still a really big issue. A lot of falling asleep. Uh, hopefully that clears up uh, as the season goes, maybe. But yeah, like this is what the rest experience is going to be. People kind of have to 
get used to this and hopefully it leads into some wins here but when you have him as this high usage we've seen it uh in the past like that's it's just not conductive to high level winning uh and again those turnovers you have to clean up that's just inexcusable no matter what and he knows that he's been in the league too long not to know those turnovers uh aren't there but but that's the Russ experience man I, like we're gonna talk about this every single game because this is what's gonna happen after every single game for <laughs> God, I hope not. Um, so let, let, let's talk about uh, Anthony Davis yeah. a little bit because I thought this was another uh, interesting Anthony Davis game in a lot of ways. He's just actually, uh, you know, second tier superstar slash first tier superstar, depending on who you ask. So even his his weird bad games still come with a ton of good. Sure. And and he had some awesome defensive stretches today. We, we don't need to really dig into the minutia, so to speak. However, I, I, I did think some of his body language was really interesting tonight. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to hear your opinion. I have my two cents, but I want to go after you. So did you notice anything with Anthony Davis's body language tonight? Do you think, what do you think was causing it? And do you think it matters at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we talked, uh, we talked about this in the last one too. It was going to get uncomfortable once they start, you know, losing a lot. And I thought tonight was the most frustrated I've seen AD um, I tweeted it tonight. He was walking to the huddle with like shaking his head. I'm not sure what that was at. Uh, I think it was the ugly offense, to be honest. Like it was a lot of this. Russ had the ball at the top. He's kind of getting shoved out where he has to go get the ball at half court and then try to run offense from there. It was a lot of just ugly stuff. But yeah, his body language definitely he was frustrated. You could just tell uh, he was frustrated. I'm not sure at the spacing, at the defense, um, the lack of help rotations. Like, but he was definitely frustrated tonight. And again, it's so weird because it felt like he was kind of walking through the game, but then you look up at the box score and it's like 30 points, 12 rebounds, you know, five (laughs) blocks. And that's just the kind of player he is. Uh, It just felt like he could have, like, it felt like some of the shots he got against late in the, late in the clock, like he could have got that whenever he wanted. Like he had Gordon Hayward switched on him, Miles Bridges switched on him a ton of times where I thought he could have just been aggressive uh, and instead took some, some, you know, questionable jump shots, but you know, you can't be mad at the line. 44 minutes, uh, I was reading on the timeline, he threw up at halftime or in the third quarter or something like that. So he was still feeling sick. Uh, but, you know, I thought he was incredible late uh, in the fourth, uh, especially in that lineup with Rondo, uh, him just running the floor there, controlling the defense. I thought, you know, we're kind of seeing AD pick it up. His numbers have been great. Uh, every His, like, game-to-game effort still kind of goes up and down on defense sometimes. Uh, but tonight I thought he was incredible for in, in his minutes. Yeah, so it was an interesting, uh, you know, in terms of the the actual play on the court, it was very typical for him Mm -hmm. at this point in the season compared to his other performances. Like, defensive effort was inconsistent. When he was trying, it was like he was just single-handedly blowing up Hornets plays. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, but then there would be, you know, plays where he would – I give up deep post position to Mason Plumlee a few times for no particular reason, just because he's not fighting physically and then getting beaten. Just like random little things like that, like typical, like he's been all season long, like inconsistent, but when he tries, it's (laughs) earth shatteringly good. And then, you know, so there were two plays where I noticed his body language. One where he appeared to be frustrated with Russ for not getting a a post touch uh, on a, on a deep Mm -hmm. seal. And then, and then there was another one in, in the second half, I think it was, yes, it was in the second half where Russ was chest to chest with, I think it was Gordon Hayward on the left elbow. Mm-hmm. 
and and just got Russ just like literally got cut through like tissue paper by uh, uh, by Hayward who finished uh, AD had came over and actually blocked him but fouled him with the body and and he had the same uh, bad body language and you know it's interesting to me because like this is something I'm very critical about with LeBron uh, over the course of his career it's like it's fair weather leadership right like. There are, there are leaders that, you know, keep the same even keel type of personality regardless of circumstance. Like when, th- when your team is playing extremely well, they kind of try to keep you tempered and they're still positive, but they never let you get too high. And then when things get really bad and really down, they stay encouraging. They stay positive. They keep good by- – like a great example of that is Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry is the best like good times, bad times leader – that I've seen, uh, in, in this era. Uh, but you know, LeBron is like such a fantastic leader when things are going good. And fortunately he's so good that things are almost always going good. So there's still a giant amount of value in his form of leadership, but like LeBron has a tendency when things go south to pout and to have bad body language and to perpetuate the media storm around uh, the drama, you know, like LeBron's not that guy that shuts that down. He almost plays into it more with like random little quotes and little tweets <laughs> and, and little looks and, and, you know, weird stuff like that, you know? And so that was kind of like, AD, you're frustrated. I get it, man. You're frustrated because uh, Russ isn't getting you the ball in the spots that you normally like, or your team's not defending or whatever that is. And, you know, I'm going to criticize him the same way I criticize LeBron. Like, dude, that's not good leadership. You know, if anything, you have to be thinking in the back of your mind, like LeBron's coming back. We're going to get healthy. This team has a much bigger ultimate goal than just winning this game tonight. So even if you end up losing by 15 in the second half to, to Charlotte, because you just don't have the horses and the guys aren't doing their job, you have to stay encouraging. You have to stay, you know, you, there's a way to be critical of your teammates and to demand more out of them while also being a positive and engaged leader. And, you know, this is something, this is the last thing I'll say about it. This is something Vinay pointed out, our buddy Vinay, who's been on the pod several times. He pointed out that uh, he thought that he was partially to blame for some of Russ's struggles for not aggressively diving to the rim uh, enough. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think, I think Vinay's right. Like, I think that, that there's a, a lot to be said about AD being too too quick to float around on the perimeter and to uh, to try to be a perimeter player instead of embracing his physical gifts and diving to the rim, which not only is good for the team, but that's what Russ likes to play with. Russ likes to get into the paint and make these little crafty drop-off passes to bigs. That's where he's most comfortable. And so, I, you know, there's a lot of people, when I tweeted it out about his body language, who said, AD has to look in the mirror and there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Like that you, like that's part of why you have to be positive when things are down is because the reality is dude, it's like if you were out there being a world beater, they probably would be winning, you know? So you've got to acknowledge your own faults and, and use that to prevent yourself from being too negative with your teammates. And I, and I think that that is something we have to be careful with both LeBron and AD in this stretch of the season. Cause even when LeBron comes back, they still have a limit at the forward position they need to be, they need to be good leaders. And we, that, that's, it goes from everything from their effort and consistency and professionalism all the way down to, Hey dude, you can't be like shaking your head at your teammate when he gets beat off the dribble again. Cause it looks bad. It looks bad on TV. It looks it, 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 all your, your teammates see it 
and they think that you're checking out mentally, like it's all there's, it's just bad. It's just bad. And I relate to it. All of us should relate to it because losing sucks, sucks so bad. No one is happy when they're losing. So we like, I'm not, it's not an indictment of like his character. It's just, it's just, Hey dude, let's cut that shit out moving forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, AD is a guy who, uh, I think he's more of like a, you know, leader that shows it rather than says it, you know what I mean? He's more of like a, just follow my game. And I think he has to be the defensive leader for this team more than like, even though we'd love for, I think during this stretch, he, we need a scoring a bit more, but just like on this team, he kind of has to be that defensive leader. I saw him frustrated, but I mean, like I can kind of live with those. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. I wonder if he pointed out, you know, in the, in the press conference or something, what he was actually really frustrated about. I'm sure all that stuff was mixed in. I'm sure the losing isn't fun. Uh, I'm sure playing on a team where, you know, going from last year where you had all these defensive guards and all that and to this team where, you know, he has to cover up for even more. I'm sure all that's kind of baked in there. Uh, but, you know, but, I mean, his play was – he picked it up with his play, and that's all you can kind of really ask, ask for him Uh the shaking the head stamp stuff, like I don't see it consistent enough from AD to where I think it's an issue yet. Um, but but I see your point there. Like I see that how it can kind of affect the rest of the team. Like the rust stuff is frustrating. Like I don't blame him if that's what he was frustrated about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like the turnovers sure. are definitely frustrating. You know, I think even uh, someone pointed out uh, that late in the game, he just asked for the ball. You know, he just asked. He just asked for the guy. He just wanted to be the one bring it up. He's like, just give me the ball at backcourt. I'll bring the ball up. Uh, but that was another big body language thing that I forgot. That was a weird play. Like AD, because th- these guys are paying attention. They see the same things we see. That's why it's so crazy when we're like, oh, don't play Rondo. Don't play DAJ. You, you want to be like, dude, how do you not see what we're seeing? But like in the backcourt, he demanded the ball from Russell Westbrook and then brought it up the floor, handled a little bit of ball pressure from Miles Bridges up top. And then more ball pressure came and he almost was like, oh, crap, never mind. I don't want to do this. <laughs> Where's Russ? <laughs> right, right. You know, like that's going to happen, man. And, and the Lakers needed to win tonight. Like they really did. Tonight was important to me. Like these least losses can really pile up if you let them. Tonight's another game. I think the Hornets went up three or something super late. Like and and Carmelo kind of hit a bunch of shots. But tonight, tonight was important. They got this win. Uh, I think they play Miami next. But yeah, man, AD, 44 minutes, uh, 32 points. Like, he did what he was supposed to to dominate this New Orleans team when it mattered. You'd like to see it a little bit more consistently. You'd like them not to blow these leads when they have them. Uh, but this is just survival mode right now until we get our wings back. Hopefully, THD comes back soon. Kendrick Dunn comes back to, back soon. Get a little bit more ball handling uh, so that Russ doesn't have to, you know, control the ball as much uh, as he did. Uh, but, you know, at least they won tonight. Like, that's that's a that's a positive to take from this. You it, you don't want to learn all your lessons from losses is what I would say. So tonight's a good game for them to get to pick up a win. I agree. I, that was something I d- intended to say at some <laughs> point during the show. And it, um, even if it's here towards the end, it's still good. This was a huge win. Um, I didn't think they were going to win tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some problem, problems with the just not, – not problems. I have some – I've come to terms with some harsh realities about this team's capability of winning games with all their forwards gone. Um, and I, to be clear, I think, I think if, if Melo doesn't shoot the ball as well as he does, you know, we might be talking about a different type of result here tonight. Um, but the point being, this is a huge win. Any of these games, especially with this tough stretch of the schedule here, if they win any of these games without LeBron. That's, that's a big deal. Now, hopefully LeBron comes back soon. Um, I don't think he'll play against Miami, but if he could come back, 
this weekend for, you know, that Spurs game or that, that Timberwolves game, that'd be a big deal. Um, or I think it's Chicago actually doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, it was a big win. It was a big win. And that's worth, that's worth acknowledging. Um, it is 1207 after midnight here in Tucson, but I did promise we'd take a couple callers. So let's take two quick ones and then let's call it a night. Sound like a plan? Sounds good. Uh, let's see here. We actually have a lot of requests, but, uh, yeah, we'll get two people and get some more people on. I think the next game was on Tuesday. Uh, so let me see here. Yes, we and we will go Tuesday. I just have a long day tomorrow, and it is late. I need to get some sleep at some point. Uh, your average one. What's going on, man? All right, going once, going twice. <laughs> Also, coming back and winning that in overtime after the gigantic collapse (laughs) that was largely fueled by Russell Westbrook and the refs. Well, not the refs, but the players getting too into it with the refs. Like, it was it was a nice little show of uh, responding to adversity. Trevon, my guy, what's going? What's up? What's up, Raj? I I I didn't thought you'd bring me here. That's why I DM you the question. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. So, So, if you look at the end of game positions. Like like Russ passing the ball to AD and then cutting like to the rim. Mm-hmm. I, and then drifting, like there's no spacing there. Like Russ's man is easily doubling AD. So mm-hmm. there's no like how do you space Russ in the situation so that like you run it a little bit better? I think once Russ was wide open on the rim, AD just missed the pass. Yeah. Like how do you space that better so that like other people can get looks or whatever? Because it's this like it's no use right now. You so you're saying like when Russ is the entry passer, right? To post entry passer uh, to even then like if you're post how do you post up AD and space Russ on A D post up? Like generally that's a go to move, right? Like like without LeBron, that's a go to move right now. Yeah, which is why I'm advocating for just straight screen and roll. Like when Russ is the entry passer, there's sometimes where the guy cheats and he back cuts off of it. Um, and he gets like a layup that way, uh, or he just cuts through and then just sits at the dunker spot. You know, it's it's a little bit harder to help from there. Uh, but there's no there's no like you know easy answer to that. Like Russ's spacing is what it is. The guy who's guarding him is told probably 500 times before the game starts. Um, you know, to to go yeah. to, to go cheat off Russ. That's why I'm in this like just go high straight pick and roll. Russ AD give him three shooters. Or even if it's not AD, if you're playing these bench lineups, uh, Russ, Dwight, you know, straight screen and roll. Get Russ. Teams mostly are going to go under that. Get Russ a head of steam going to the rim. Try to chaos, create chaos that way. What do you think, Jason? So, you know, it's interesting because I think a good percentage of this lands on AD, sure. too. Um, you mentioned a play, Servan, uh, where he missed Russ under the rim. There wasn't a single Laker fan in the entire world who didn't see Russ there. And the camera was right behind Anthony Davis's head. He saw that too. So the, the, the harsh reality is, and this is something that Raj and I have talked about consistently over the last couple of years. Uh, AD is not really good at reading double teams um, or, or defensive attention in the half court. It's not a strength of his. And right now uh, teams are extremely good at forcing him to becoming a jump shooter in post-up situations. And right now he can't really make jump shots at a high clip. So 
Uh, he made a few mid-range shots tonight, but just in general, his shot has been super uh, sketchy over the basically since the bubble. So what makes it, what becomes problematic is like I agree with Russ. You got to run high pick and roll because that gives you at least a better pop, a possibility of of getting something closer to the rim. The problem is is actually Charlotte did this on the key possessions of the game. They're just switching that pick and roll, and so you almost have no choice but then to dump it back into the post. And again, AD is going to, because he doesn't really win those physical matchups, uh, especially when he's fighting for position, like he'll catch at 17, 18 feet, turn and face. They'll double him and it's not and and Russell cut or somebody will cut. Somebody will be open, but he just won't see it. And so this is just, this is one of the shortcomings with Anthony Davis is like, he just doesn't have that higher end court vision, the ability to make teams pay for overloading on him. And if it wasn't Russ, it would be somebody else. You know how we know? Because that's what it was the last two years. Yeah, but is AD post-ups ending in double teams and him not finding the open option. There are more options right now, right? Like you can I, I think Russ can beat his big man if you're switching the pick and roll. I think Russ can beat that guy off the dribble and just drive. Or like if you're He had some trouble with Mason Lumley for him. <laughs> And one more option is like set another screen for AD. Like let him dribble the ball. Like he's pretty good at that, right? So give him more space. Like, like after the ball goes to him in the post, nothing happens. No one moves. Yeah. Nothing happens. But you can rescreen, right? I, I don't think I think AD can go through a screen, dribble and get space or drive to the rim. But there's no creativity, there's no ball movement, like there's no proper spacing, even though there are shooters on the court. Like, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, that I mean, there's, I mean, it's kind of a Vogel offense. So there is some kind of lack of creativity. They're kind of pet thing with that. They throw it into AD. The opposite corner man kind of sets a pin screen to get the corner shooter opposite open. That's like as far as they go. And then kind of let AD draw a double and kick out from there. You're right. It's not too creative of an offense. Uh, but again, Russ, I'd but, like. But with, that's a single action, right, Russ? Like, yeah. why not multiple actions? It's just not what they do. It's never been. Uh, Vogel's a very specific coach, and that's just kind of the actions that they run. So, yeah, and this is something that, like, I think is one of the core parts of LeBron's belief system, too. He's kind of partially to blame here. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a relationship with with Frank that he kind of has a, a good amount of say in what they do here. And uh, the, the broadcast from the Portland Trailblazers game the other day specifically mentioned this the idea that the Lakers are kind of more of a brute force offense. It's like, mm-hmm. here's the action we're running. And because it's LeBron and AD, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And it doesn't matter that we don't complicate it. They'll do little things. Like when they, when they were going against Cleveland, they would set a pin down for Anthony Davis's man as he was coming up to set the screen. So there was more separation when they ran the pick and roll, which got them some good stuff out of it. They do little things like that. But I think the, I think the, the reality is, is when you get into the postseason. Um, teams, these really high end defenses are too good at taking away the gimmicks and taking away some of the scheme related stuff with offense, like running, uh, multiple actions against good switching defense just is going to end up with you on an Island again anyway. And the way that I think the team sees their future potential with Frank and LeBron at the helm of the offense is just like in 2020, uh, who cares? You can't stop us. Like you can't stop LeBron and AD um, regardless of whether we're on an Island 
or we're running or you're sending multiple bodies. You just can't stop us. And so that's kind of their approach. It's, it's very archaic. I'm with you. Um, I agree with you, but I just don't, I just don't, I don't see them changing that tactic at all. Uh, thanks for bringing me on. Appreciate you, Siobhan. Yeah, thanks, Siobhan. It was good to hear from you, man. I hope to hear you hear from you again sometime soon. Yeah, I'm in Eastern time. Like it's hard <laughs> for me. <laughs> oh, dude, I hear you, bro. I hear you, brother. It's after midnight over here, and I'm struggling. <laughs> All right, good night. Uh, good night, man. Appreciate good night, it. Man. All right, let's get one more. Let's get one All more. Right. Uh, Rod, Rod, Rodolph, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Um, I just got like one question. Like, um, I know it's a Vogel team. Um, and one of the most frustrating thing watching this team is just like every time they score, they end up either giving like you know two points or three points, basically like right away. It's like there's not like a string of like defense where they can like consistently get separation from the team and this is like what the 11th game and uh, like of the season and they've conceded like basically a whole points or more in 10 of those games if i'm not mistaken so is this a reality that we're gonna have to live with like until like i mean even the guys that are out i still don't have like much faith that the defense is gonna like you know picked up with them coming back like offensively we're gonna be better you know as you stay as you guys stated but is this an uh reality that we're gonna have to live with like or can things improve on that end throughout the season to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, like we, we, Raj and I always talk about this team going on defensive runs. There was a defensive run tonight. It was in the end of the third quarter, beginning of yes. the fourth. Well, I think it was like a, I think it was like a twenty-four to nine run or something like that in over the course of roughly ten minutes of game clock. And uh, the 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 point is, is like you you want those to be more frequent exactly. and longer rather than, rather than rarer and 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 shorter. And so the thing is, is over the course of the season, that'll manifest in their defensive rating. That's why Raj and I um, point to that metric often, but the, the bottom, the bottom line is though, is like as a team, um, uh, when they get to the point where they have the personnel to actually be able to cause teams problems with their length and athleticism, they, they're really not going to be able to do too many of these long or have too many of these long extended defensive runs. They just don't have the personnel. But if you get a run like you had tonight, out of a, a lineup that had Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony on the floor, you praise the basketball gods. I, I promise you, man. Like that was <laughs> that was striking. That was that was lightning striking in the same place twice. You take it and you get out of the casino before they before they come after you. So that's kind of that's kind of the way I see it. And by the way, you did accidentally hint at one other thing I wanted to mention to to everybody about that I thought was interesting about this game. I, one of the big downsides of when they go big with LeBron or with Anthony Davis and DeAndre Jordan at the floor is big guys just naturally gravitate to the rim on offense. Like e- even Anthony Davis, when he's floating around the perimeter, like when the shot goes up, he always kind of like floats in to the painted area. And DeAndre Jordan's obviously down there. And almost every single time, this is another thing that Vinay has been pointing out a lot over the course of the year. As soon as that shot goes up, the other team secures a rebound and starts sprinting the other way. Mm-hmm. And almost every single time, DeAndre Jordan and Anthony Davis take these slow, lumbering steps to kind of get their speed to get back. And almost every one of those possessions begins as a five on three. 
And it's actually becoming a bit of a problem. And it's one of the many reasons why I say like, just like taking something like, Oh, Anthony Davis is a help defender when he plays the four taking something like that is the, it just being the reason why you do something is so silly because every action has consequences and the consequence of having DeAndre Jordan on the floor, it comes with all sorts of things like the slow pace I just talked about or Russ getting off to a bad start, not getting any good shots. Like DeAndre Jordan was super active to start that game tonight. Yep. He was flying around, dunking everything, getting tons of offensive rebounds. It's very easy to look at that and go like, man, look at DeAndre Jordan helping the starters. But it's like, ooh, actually, Russ and AD had like zero rim attempts <laughs> in that first shift. It's like, so it's like, it's like, you gotta I, come and, from and, and or something. there's always a give and take with that stuff. And so I, I know, I know that wasn't exactly what yeah. you asked, but that was something that I thought was so interesting because there was a play where Terry Rozier hit a huge three to, I think, push their lead up to like six in the second half. And on the play, LeBron and AD, or AD and, and DeAndre Jordan just jogging up the floor. Like you just can't, you can't do it. The foot speed is too slow when you have two giant human beings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because like uh, one thing, like, you know, I've seen like that's, it's becoming a trend. Like this team is hard to get separation. And one of the main problems that they can, you know, that pretty much like creeps up every time is like every time they score or make a run, they pretty much give up that same run on the other end. And that basically, Mm -hmm. basically forces the Lakers to play a lot of close games. And we get a lot of those nervous moments towards the end of the game where we can't really like, you know, we haven't really had a comfortable feel good type of win where we can just say like, okay, like we had a, a solid like 24, especially like those third quarters where we basically like get ran out basically out of the, out of the court. So like I mean like we can't really have the stretch where we just like are solid defensively enough to be able to create a separation. That that would be nice, huh? Just to get a just to get a solid <laughs> oh, win. Exactly. A, like I'm praying, I'm praying for it like right now every night. <laughs> uh, to your like uh, defensive point, look like it's not probably gonna happen during this stretch. Like there's just not enough good defenders out there on the floor. Like again, I, I talked about it. I like that Russ. You know. Jason, you said praise the gods you get, you know, stops with Monk and Carmelo on the floor. Wayne Ellington was on the floor too during that run. Uh, I be- I'm pretty sure. So you got, you know, you got stops with that lineup. Uh, but that's probably going to be a- the exception, not the rule, which is why I'm saying lean into offense because I don't think this team right now, just as it's constructed with all the guys out, especially with LeBron out as well. Uh, I don't think we talk about how much LeBron actually impacts our defense. Uh, we we think about it a lot of his ball ball handling and you know shot creation which is true but also him being the like only power forward that can defend at the high level like this team's not going to be able to get that many stops but they should be able to score uh, which is why I want them to kind of lean into that but yeah we'll, we'll see hopefully they can get one one of these you know wired to wired wins I don't expect it happening t- I can believe we play Miami next so I don't think that's the team. That it happens with, uh, but maybe, <laughs> no, I don't think maybe so. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe some some of the teams after that, you you might get your wish. But but for now, like this team's just gonna have to you know <laughs> sneak out wins, and and tonight was the first step. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. Hey, right, we appreciate it, man. Thank you, Rudolph. Have a have a good night, man. And we're gonna be back on Wednesday. So thank you very much. I'll see you guys. Appreciate it, man. You know what's funny, Raj, is the last thing I'm going to say before we get out of here tonight. Uh, there's a weird thing that happens when you play the Miami Heat 
like you're probably going to, they're, they're probably going to lose on Wednesday. I would, I would actually expect Vegas to have Miami as a half decent favorite, probably somewhere four or five points ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but they play so hard and they play so tough and, and, and fundamentally mm-hmm. sound that it almost rubs off. <laughs> like it would, it's kind of like, it's kind of one of those games where if the Lakers lost by 10, 15 points, I, it could be the kind of thing that kicks them back on the right track. Like sometimes you need to see just how good someone else is at something for you to realize how bad you are at something. Like I, I, I coach the high school hoops right now. And my coach told me my head coach that I, that I'm the assistant for told me a story today that he had a group that was kind of cocky and had bad attitudes. And so he took one of his former players who was a, uh, a college athlete elsewhere and or used to be a former college athlete elsewhere, brought him in and had all the kids get in a line. And he went one by one through the kids and beat them all one-on-one. And, and he had them, he had him do that to try to teach them a lesson about how far they had to go that they were so far like, Hey, like before you guys start acting arrogant around me, you should realize just how small you are in the basketball (laughs) world. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And that's kind of what I see this Miami matchup as is like the Lakers have been an inconsistent group that doesn't have an identity that has struggled to beat bad teams, uh, uh, has lost to bad teams. And, and it just, just is so far away from where they need to be. And sometimes it takes a team like Miami coming in and just whooping your ass in every facet of the game for you to finally walk into that locker room and be like, guys, we're not good enough. And so, and so that's what I wonder. I wonder if that's going to be Wednesday. Obviously I hope the Lakers win. I hope they play great, but I just don't expect them to. And I expect them to be shell shocked by just how much better Miami is not with talent, but just, doing all the things that you have to do to win basketball. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we'll get the effort on Wednesday. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was on Tuesday. It's actually on Wednesday, so they get a few. Uh, they get a game off tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, I think you'll get the you'll get the effort at least against a team like Miami, right? Against these other teams, you might not get that. Uh, but definitely against Heat, I expect that even if they don't win, they could get blown out by 30. Um, but I, I expect them to at least play hard uh, during that game against against a good team like that. My last question, though, for you before we close this were you able to see the Jokic kind of, uh, you know, elbow to the back of uh, or whatever that was to unlock even more? Yes. What's your prediction for that? Because obviously it's going to be suspensions. Um, I think it's. I thought I said double digit. That's probably pretty high. That's at least like six, seven games, though, right? Am, am I crazy? Am I am I thinking that's too much? Because I feel like that's what we're going to see this suspension. That's what I guess we'll close out on this. Like, what's your prediction there? Ah, uh, I if I had to guess, I'd say five games or okay. less. Um, the reason why is you're going to have Jokic's people insisting that the, the that the Morris play was dirty. It As was. Matter of fact, let me, definitely was dirty. Morris Morris is going to get like one or two games, and uh, Jokic is going to get like four or five games. That's my guess. And to be clear, like this is you know I I enjoyed rooting for Marquise Morris over the last two seasons. I thought he was a really good role player, mm-hmm. but him and his brother are so notorious for this crap. It's the, it's the Patrick Beverly thing. And you know what, if Patrick Beverly, it irritates the crap out of you with dirty little, you know, BS basketball plays all season long. And then you shove him in the back and give him whiplash. You deserve to be suspended. Like that's a, that is a bad overreaction. That kind of thing can really hurt somebody yeah. too. Like I have a huge, I have a huge problem with you, what Jokic did, but 
But <laughs> there is there is some truth to the fact that when someone is just sitting there, it's like those dudes that like guard the the, the royal palace in, in Great Britain that they have to like stand there with a straight face while the people are screwing with them. It's like at a certain point, if someone is just screwing with you nonstop, like at, like I relate to the fact that you might let your guard down and, and and end up lashing out a little bit. But to be clear, Jokic crossed a huge line. He deserves to be suspended. I predict four or five games and more. For sure, yeah. And Jokic is not the one, right? He's not the guy to, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> way. And, uh, With his yeah, brothers yeah, too, exactly. by the way. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was interesting uh, around the league kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back uh, again on, on Wednesday to, to recap that one. Yes, thank you guys so much for coming to hang out. This will be on our podcast feed here in about 20 minutes or so. And we'll air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Thank you, as always, for your support. We'll see you on Wednesday night. Thanks, everyone.